In this episode, we talk about drugs and addiction. If you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the Alcohol Drug Information Service on 1800 250 or Narcotics Anonymous Australia on 1300 652 820. Both these hotlines provide confidential support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is a story of addiction, recovery, and so much more. I'm Kate Derouge, and this is Why Do I Feel This Way. Thanks for joining me. Tell me why do I feel this way? Tell me why do I feel this way? So let's set the scene for the listener because, Kate, I'm in Sydney at the moment. You're in Bendigo. Uh, and we've done the last couple of episodes, just you and I, but today we are joined by your two siblings. So do you want to introduce them to everyone? I've got my brother Alex on one side and my little sister Liza on the other side and I'm very proud of them for being so brave. I've asked them to come in and talk about their experiences of having a family member, um, you know, suffer with mental health and addiction. I think people talk about the addict all the time, but the silent sufferers in it all are normally families, mums, dads, or, or just loved ones and friends. And that's kind of what, what we wanted to do today because obviously, Kate, we've heard about your story from your mouth, but there's a lot more people involved in your story than just you. And it's kind of shedding light on that today. You know, for me, I'm with someone who has struggled addiction for years. He's been to rehab. You actually met him in rehab, which is how I know you. So it felt really important to not just have you tell your story, but to, to kind of shed light on the people around you, the people that love you and, and kind of what their journey is throughout that as well. I think it's probably more comfortable for everybody. Um, you know, I don't want these guys to feel like they have to filter their experience or dim it down in any way. I want them to speak really truthfully about what they went through um, and how they felt. And I feel like they might be more comfortable doing that without me in the room. So I'm actually going to step out and leave you um, with my beautiful friend, Claudia, who's going to go through your Perfect. part with you. Perfect. All right, Alex and Eliza, it's just us here now. Are you guys feeling all right? Oh, yeah. It's a bit awkward to talk about this, to be honest. <laughs> it's not really an open forum conversation that we've ever really had before. Yeah, no. We'll see how we go. We'll see what comes out of our mouths, I guess. It's a bit nerve-wracking. Uh, just for some context, tell me a bit about yourselves. You're both younger? Yeah, yeah, both younger siblings of Kate. I am four years younger. And what are you? Uh, I'm eight years younger than Kate, so... I'm the middle and she's the youngest. Yeah. All right. So obviously, you know, what we're talking about today is sensitive and I completely appreciate that it's probably hard for you today to be in the room talking about this because we've seen the headlines, she's done interviews, podcasts, you know, the episodes earlier in the season talking about her experience, but you were also part of that experience and I just really appreciate you guys being here and talking about it and being open to talking about it. Can't be easy. It's something that we were obviously, um, we discussed and we, we think that we can see a positive and it's probably a sibling saying their side of the story because, um, you know, there is a lot of people affected. It's not just the, the addict themselves, it's, it's the family surrounding them and trying to support them and, and uh, it's an important side of the story to tell. Absolutely. Let's take it back to the start. Can you tell me your first slash best memories kind of as siblings? Is it in the backyard? Is it the local pool? Like what was that dynamic growing up? Um, well, I guess I probably, because there's four years difference between Kate and I, so we sort of grew up reasonably close at, at the same age, sort of. I do remember as a kid, we always just had to do what Kate wanted to do. Uh, being the younger brother, I just sort of tagged along and um, she used to make me watch all the favourite shows and do whatever game she wanted to play. But look, we grew up in a really, in a, in a fun, loving household with lots of love, lots of music. Um, it was just a normal every day sort of run in the mill. We used to have fights in the mornings, not wanting to go to school or, um, you know, we'd run off and cause havoc down the street and go disappeared or something like that for, for an hour or so out of mum and dad's hair. But all in all, we just had a normal everyday life, I think, growing up. That was my experience with Kate because, yeah, there was a sort of a closer gap between Kate and I. Kate and I have an eight-year age difference, which um, I have lots of happy memories when I was younger, but in saying that, you know, when Kate was 18 and moved away, I was only 12. So we probably didn't do, we weren't interested in the same things at the same time. Um, you know, when she would have been eight, I would have been a newborn. So 
it's a it's a big difference. Um, but yeah, we I definitely remember in the early days of what I do remember is lots of happy memories watching The Little Mermaid on repeat and I know I made them all watch Dirty Dancing flat out. So, you know, those sort of memories that it was just a really happy home to grow up in. And then Kate becomes Australian Idol, which is a ridiculous sentence to say out loud. You know, I remember I was voting for her to win too. So what a full circle moment this is. But can you tell me a bit about when you saw your sister on the TV? Like, did you, when she won that night, were you kind of expecting it? Were you in shock? Like, talk, talk to me through that. That was a real whirlwind, I think, for from because it wasn't Kate's first attempt at it. And, and then sort of this time she got through. And at each stage, we were sort of not in belief that it was happening. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it was a whirlwind. And yeah, shit, she was on the grand final and they read her name out. And it was, it was incredible. I was, I remember feeling super proud and thought, you know, finally she's, doing what you know she's put on this earth to do and that was to sing and that's what Kate's ability has always been she's just I think she can stop a room and her voice is incredible so finally the world was going to get to see it and and the whirlwind it and it was that a whirlwind in when it came time to her actually winning wow I, I was in year 12 I was like year 11 not that I took school very seriously so I missed a fair bit of school so it wasn't a big deal but um it was really exciting it was a really exciting thing to witness yeah, look, I remember we used to go up um, because they used to do, oh, I can't 100% remember how they used to do it, but they used to do like two shows where they did the performance and the and the voting show. And we used to fly up to Sydney, I would say most shows and go and see her. And, you know, it was super exciting. We got to get out of school. We got to see her, <laughs> which was super exciting. I was 12 years old. So we got to go see her, you know, with all the lights and the cameras in a studio and we'd never seen that sort of stuff before. So, yeah, and it was. It truly was a whirlwind yeah. of a, an experience for her and, and to us for witnessing it and being a part of it. Yeah, it was. It was but it was pretty pretty amazing to see and I think – I, because I was so young, I was just idolised her. I just thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. Look at what my big sister is doing. Used to go back to school and sort of, you know, be super proud and brag about it and stuff like that. So, yeah. Was it weird seeing her once she won, like, get this fame and, like, Kate de Rouge and she's kind of, you know, on the covers of the magazines and, and everywhere? Like, did you – was it strange? Yeah, super strange. I remember, yeah, one time – because I used to tag along with her when I wasn't working or anything or, or at school – and it was still, I never got used to people, you know, coming up to her or, or talking to her or wanting photos and stuff. Like, she was just Kate. But um, yeah, it took a, I don't think I'd ever really adapt to that because, yeah, I guess she's just the, the sister and she, we bum around home and stuff like that. So to have people wanting pictures with her and everything like that, it was, it was a strange thing to sort of get used to. But um, I guess over time, I, I sort of got used to it. Yeah, I think definitely the way it happened, it happened like overnight. So it wasn't something that happened gradually either. It was just like, bam, you know, she's super famous and she's just won this, the, one of the biggest shows on TV at the moment. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in, yeah. <laughs> and now that she's not in the room, we can be honest, did it go to her head? Was she a bit of a diva? I actually truly don't think she was well she would never be with us anyway because we obviously our sort of family is the one that would ground you and bring yeah. you back down pretty damn yeah. quick I don't yeah. care who you think you are do the dishes but um yeah no it was not not around us I, I wouldn't say I ever got that from Kate really she was just no, always she was still just, remained true to herself I, I thought just always the same sort of Kate yeah and I yeah as you said if she had been oh. anything different we we would have let her know you sound like my <laughs> siblings I love it all right, so she she's famous. Obviously, we had Young Divas as well. We spoke about that in an earlier episode and they blew up. They had some great songs. There's that one song that I can't get out of my head still to this day. But can you talk me through kind of when you noticed a shift happening with Kate? Um, I guess Kate and I during her time in the Young Divas and on her own solo career, we, we remained uh, pretty close. Like she was touring around a lot and I was uh, fresh out of school then. Uh, I was studying down in Melbourne and the Young Divas were recording in Melbourne. So again, there's a common thread here, but I skipped school a bit and went and spent some time with them in the studio. And then Kate used to invite me to different performances and stuff like that. And um, look, I went and spent some time with her in Sydney. Um, and, you know, I, I spent quite a lot of time with Kate and, you know, we used to have a really good time. We used to, you know, party and everything like that. And I'd come home and... And then over time, I guess I sort of did start to see a slight change. And I guess I'd come home and 
get back to where I'd left off and my life would go on. But then I sort of started to realize that maybe Kate's life wasn't moving on from the fun that we were having and, and, you know, going out and just living this life that, that wasn't practical. And I think that's where I personally sort of started to think, hmm, I don't know if Kate's got a complete grasp on reality. I guess that would be the first thing that I, I sort of started to notice. I, yeah, I think it's it's quite a different um, experience for me as a 12-year-old. You sort of don't, you know, I wasn't going up to Sydney and partying with Kate or anything like that. So I actually didn't know anything until um, I think it was pretty, she was pretty deep in trouble in, in her first bit of when she admitted, hey, I've got a problem with this. So I remember um, her coming home and you know, the house, the mood, you know, a lot of people think little people don't understand what's going on, but I think remembering those times, they're very aware that something's not right. And I remember the mood in the house shifted and there were a lot of, you know, whispers and, you know, quiet talks and and stuff like that and and fights. And, and I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew something was um and it took a while but I eventually I just turned to my mom and I said what's something's not right what's going on um you know I know I know something's off and she basically said your sister's got a problem with drugs um and it was shocking but if anything it made me feel better knowing like knowing what was going on because I think the stories that I'd made up in my head were almost a lot worse um, than just knowing what the truth was. And it's so interesting too, Alex, to have your such different perspectives, both of you. You know, Eliza, you're younger and you're kind of noticing these things are changing and there's whispers and there's, you know, as you said, like a little person. And then Alex, you're kind of there first saying, being like, oh, this is a bit different. Yeah. It's like not quite right here. When did it kind of get to the point where it's like, oh, this is this is taking over her life. The first memory I have of that is I actually received a phone call from Kate and I remember it very vividly. I remember where I was in the car, I was driving along and at the start I thought that Kate was laughing on the phone, like being stupid. And then I realized she was actually, she was crying. And I pulled the car over and that's at, at that point, that's when she actually, the words came out of her mouth, I, I think I have a problem. And then I thought, okay. So it just took me a minute to sort of, even though deep down I guess I'd sort of maybe already thought it it hadn't been something that I ever thought would become a, a reality um and hearing her say the words I thought okay well shit we're in a bit of trouble here so I spoke to her and and that's when I decided right well let's get you home so we need to talk to mum and dad about this and and we we need to to fix it that was that was the first step and you know Kate and I we we were really close at that time and I, I was it's great that she felt she could talk to me about it so we took the steps and, hey, I was still a kid. I didn't know what the hell to do. That's why you go to mum and dad. Um, and turns out, you know, mums and dads don't always know what to do either. But um, we got pretty lucky with ours. But we just took the steps that we we did and, and, we, and we had to start the journey on hopefully trying to get her better. Yeah. And was that pretty early in, Alex, when she said she had a problem? Or is this like after Diva's like... Look, I, the time frames are a bit, a bit fuzzy. I think it was after the Young Divas and things got quiet for her for a bit and maybe, I don't know, maybe that stillness exacerbated the problem. I've got to ask too, like as, I don't know if this is strange, but as the other two kids in a trio of three siblings, your older sister needs help, she's struggling. I can only imagine she was probably the focus of the family discussions and energy and, you know, suddenly your mum and dad are looking after your, your other sibling. What was that like from your perspective where your older sister is, I don't want to say attention because it sounds like it's the wrong language, but that the focus is all on her. Well, you can use that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think it happened for such a long time. I guess it wasn't a year. It wasn't two years. It was, I think, 12 years. So at the start, obviously, it's a, it's a thing of understanding like, oh, my God, so, you know, like you have a, a sick sibling or something like that you know, of course that's what's going to happen. Um, but it's a tricky one as as life goes on and as the attempts at helping become more and more and the more failed attempts, it does become really hard. And it you don't 
want to ever say it and go, you know, this is hard for me too because your parents are struggling. Like they're going to who, the child who needs it most and I think everyone can understand that but it becomes a point where it, it it's de- it, yeah, it becomes yeah. devastating. After a while it's like, you know, I've, I've got a life that I've got to lead and, and, you know, I want to have my moments as well and, you know, there were several occasions that, that, that they were sort of taken from us in a way. And their moments, you know, we'll never get back. And they were special times for us that were that were shadowed by Kate and, and her and the battle she was fighting. But in that moment, we just wanted that one night or that one weekend, but they, they got taken. And that's, you know, as a kid, and we still were kids at that time, that's a hard pill to swallow. And you try and be fair and understand, but it's also really shit. It's a really shit feeling. Yeah, and I can only imagine that there, I mean, there'd have to be a little bit of, resentment building up from that you know I'm one of three and I know what it's like kind of you know in that dynamic and I can't imagine for the six or eight years that it went for it's that's what the focus is and you're like well you know I'm still over here I'm doing things and yeah that must have been rough did you feel like when she was in the depths of being quite unwell did you almost feel like you were grieving the sister that you knew absolutely I'll be honest that probably came later when things got probably towards their their worst I think um we've had that conversation and and there was a time that Kate was gone like the person that was she, her body might have been walking around but our sister was was no longer present uh you get you used to get snippets of her at, at different functions and we'd have fun and things would revert back to what what we used to be when we'd all you know hang hang around each other and have fun and talk shit and and do all that sort of stuff but slowly but surely that that person disappeared um, so there is a, a sense of, of grieving, I guess, and tr- more trying to understand how this has happened. How can I be looking at a person, but they're, they're not there. So it's, it's a, it's a really confusing, conflicting thing in your own head to try and get yourself around. I'm looking at you, but you, you're not there. Yeah. I know she spoke about how it kind of started with food and then it was a bit of alcohol and then it was Coke and how it escalated each time. And I wonder, were you guys across as it progressed, kind of what, how bad it was getting? Well, you kind of looked into those details or is it just, it's bad? No, no, it, it sounds funny, but it, it sort of, as it progressed over the years, it did obviously get more, more and more serious. And I think the, the good moments and the glimpses of the Kate we knew growing up started to disappear more and more, you know, at the start it used to be, well, she's still Kate, she's just got this problem. And then I suppose the behaviour started to change where, well, it's still Kate, but she's doing things that are actively harming us, you know, lying and stealing and putting us in really unsafe situations. Um, Yeah, those became more and more and she just slowly started to disappear until I'd say the last year or two I didn't see my sister. I saw the disease had taken over her. Um, look, there were some instances that um, my trust was severely broken and there was some people that were really close to the family that probably, you know, as I said, it wasn't my sister and, and I always tried to defend where I could, but there were times where I, I didn't have a leg to stand on to defend the situation. Um, so, so yeah, there were, there were times that things probably weren't quite as they should be, I guess I can say, that, um, that left a, a pretty sick feeling in my stomach. Like, again, that's not my sister or she could never, never do that. But, you know, when it's there staring you in the face, sometimes it's a, it's a hard one to justify to people. Yeah, I think it's a really tough one because, you know, you've got to remind yourself that it's, it's a disease and it's an illness, but normal illnesses, people don't often behave that way in, in well, you know. Don't. No, <laughs> well, don't. sometimes <laughs> they do, but, I mean, they don't, you know, they don't do things to harm their family or steal or, like we said, put them in unsafe situations. So it, it's hard to get your head around it and not, yeah, it's just a very difficult situation. Yeah. It's interesting too and when Kate was telling her story, there's gaps in her timeline and then she remembers th- and it seems like because it went for so long, like you mentioned earlier, it's like she still doesn't quite know and there's no like rock bottom like she said that too, it's like it was all bottom. It was, you know, it wasn't a defining moment. It was just a really, really bad period. And 
was there a moment where you guys, because you, you mentioned that you, you get glimpses of her at events or, you know, at, at home, was there a moment where you're like, oh, she's, that's not our sister anymore? Like there was a real finality to it? I don't know if there was a specific moment that she she sort of left, but I, I know that she was in a it was probably in the last six months of her addiction that she was like gone. There was not a glimpse. There was, there was no aspect of, of our sister left. Um, her behavior was just not of someone that I would ever associate with or want to. There's her behavior was nothing that represented what we were as a family or what we knew was right or wrong. It was gone. This, this disease had completely overtaken her and they'd, it stole it. It stole her from us really. And I think there was, and I think it was that shift that, you know, it used to be, which in the end, it starts to mean nothing. The sorries and I'm, I can't, oh. you know, I'm so sorry I did this. And, but in the end, that was gone. There was no remorse. There was just actions and hurt that she, you know, she didn't care. And yeah, that was, I think, when she was, she was just gone. It was just her living in this active life of addiction that had taken over and she was gone. Yeah. What was it like seeing your parents go through that? Oh, I actually, that was almost as hard as seeing Kate go through it, to be honest, to watch particularly my mum, who oh, is the strongest woman I've ever met, to see her have the love and the strength that she had to do what she did for my sister is is something I will forever respect and love her for. And... It was really tough to just see mum almost banging her head against a brick wall. She was fighting an uphill battle. I mean, you hear it all the time. An addict doesn't want to be helped until they're ready to be helped. But, you know, mum never gave up. She never, ever gave up on her. And she wouldn't have. If Kate was still in active addiction today and mum was here, I know mum would still be actively trying everything she could to help and save Kate. Yeah, and I know in one of the previous episodes, Kate, you know, mentions that there was a point where she thought, you know, mum had had to let go and, and give up. But, you know, me and Alex were there that day and mum might have given up for that day, but I just cannot imagine her giving up at all. And, you know, it might not be what you're told to do, but what do you do as a mother? I, I, I've become a mum recently and even I've known this little baby for, you know, a year and I can't imagine just having to go, well, I have to let you go and in you know, put yourself in danger and in harm's way and yeah. So it was it was truly horrific to watch, you know, mum and dad go. To just keep fighting. And they did, they kept fighting and yeah, they they're incredible people. And all parents out there that are doing it would probably understand it's it's the hardest thing you'd ever do. And but as a as one of your other kids watching your parents go through it, it's just another knife through your heart. Yeah, because I remember, I actually, Eliza, I remember that point in that interview and, she, and Kate said that her mum dropped, her, sorry, your mum dropped uh, her off at rehab and she said, I love you, but I've got two other kids that need me. And I thought, wow, like that just, that's kind of the point of this episode to shed light that there was so much more happening and there were so many more people involved. As a, as a Australian Idol fan who obviously didn't know Kate personally, I saw her win. I saw her do Young Divas. She was looked like she was on top of the world. And then the next we see of her in the media is in front of a courthouse, and these headlines that she's had, you know, meth and weapon possession and and all this stuff. And did you guys read? Were you reading those articles? And what was that kind of waking up to seeing that? Yeah, we had a bit of a heads up. The weapon one, I didn't. I rang her and said, "What the fuck have you been doing?" But the weapon one I wasn't prepared for, but the, all the others I sort of, you know. Well, we, we knew, we, we knew, knew that she had gotten to the trouble and the charges had been laid and she had to go to court. So we were aware that they were coming, but it probably, the hardest bit is I suppose before then people didn't know her struggles. So it was a lot of protection mode of because of her fame, we got a lot of questions about Kate, you know, how's Kate doing, what's she doing with her music? And even though this person is is behaving in a way that, you know, is destroying your family, you still have that sibling protection, be like, Kate's doing great, yeah. Like there oh, was the a lies, lot of the lies, the lies and, the, and the secrecy of, you know, oh, you know, she's doing well, she's just working on some things for herself 
and then this article comes out and it's sort of like, well. <laughs> then- Is she doing good? Because she don't look <laughs> like it. So, yeah, and you do, like, family's family. Like, no matter how much she was giving us the shits, we'd still always protect her and didn't want, you know, it's okay for us to be mad with her, but no one else was allowed. But, yeah, people, like, an average person didn't get asked. They they don't care what their brother or sister's doing. Like, if they work at a bank or something, they've got addiction. It just so happened our sister was someone, you know, who people knew, so they wanted an update on Kate. But meanwhile, in the backgrounds, we knew it was an absolute circus. So we were like, yeah, that was the line I used to use as well. Yeah, she's just doing some solo stuff at the minute. Working <laughs> yeah. Her solo career. <laughs> yeah, we had lines. We definitely had prepared lines. Oh, you know, a bit of this, a bit of that, traveling, anyway, writing. How's your family. <laughs> yeah, a lot of writing of music. So that's it. Because there's, I mean, every family, not to this extent, obviously, but everyone has their stuff. And then you guys, unfortunately, not only had that, but you had on a you know a global scale especially a national scale these headlines coming out you're like you're dealing with your family dynamic you don't need this to be blown up into headlines either you know Mm. so during this period was there much contact especially like during that court case like those kind of years of her addiction was she reaching out at all to either of you were you reaching out to her what was that like that sort of came in waves i guess It it sort of all depended on where kate was at the time Kate and I, as I said, early days were very close and then over the time you can only be, you know, kicked in the gut so much that I I took a step back and I had to lead my own life and, you know, I was always there if she needed but really it was sort of a, a bit of a back seat and then I'd sort, we'd sort of float in and out, I guess, of, of contact. We'd always, you know, see each other at big events and like the Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that but day-to-day like messaging each other, no, I, I wouldn't say that I was in constant contact but then later I guess I was, I was sort of, you know, back into gear trying to help because I saw what a shit show the whole scene had become. I can't even quite remember. I think the same as Alex. Like there were periods, especially when I was in Sydney, that I was very close to Kate. Um, I lived with her and then it sort of became, you know, some things happened and you go, I need to protect myself in this situation. I've got to take a step back. And then there are periods you come together and trying to help and, and it's sort of on and off like that. But I think especially in that last couple of weeks before she went into that last rehab, we all banded together pretty strongly as a family and and were there for her as much as we possibly could be. Did it feel different, that last rehab? No. So, yeah, it did did for me in a way because I I looked at Kate in that situation in the weeks leading up. If she hadn't have gone into that rehab there and then, she wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I guess it didn't feel different in the way of her going in and and trying. I didn't necessarily have hope that she was going to get clean, but it did feel probably different in the way of the importance that it had because I think we all felt that if this didn't work, this wasn't going to happen again and and this She was she was truly sick at that point. Yeah, like we it came to the point where we thought well, we we may never see her again. I can't imagine what that would feel like. How do you love not only a loved one going through this without enabling, because the word enabling comes up a fair bit, how do you approach that as a sibling of being supportive and making sure she knows that she's loved but also protecting yourself as well and looking after your own well-being? I guess I there's there's times where you have to learn to be selfish. I guess you, it's not so much being selfish but you've got to look after yourself because at the end of the day, it, it was up to Kate. The ball was in Kate's court, what she wanted to do. And as much as we could try and help and support and, and deep down, she knew she was loved, but we, we couldn't give her any more of our attention or support because we needed to protect ourselves. I guess the biggest thing, I guess, looking back now is, is was supporting mum, mum and dad through the, through the time because there was nothing we could say that was going to change Kate. There was nothing anyone was going to say or do. It was just up to Kate. So... Of course, I loved her, but um, she made it very hard sometimes. Yeah, I guess it's, it's and not saying we always nailed this because we definitely didn't, but I guess you've got, to, you've got to be there when they're trying to get healthy and well. And if that's not what they're trying to do and they just, you know, want money or want a way to go and use essentially – you just have to put up that boundary as hard as it is. And I think it might be easier for a sibling to say than a parent, but you have to put up that boundary and say, 
I can't support you in that and I can't give you things that are going to aid you in doing that. I was curious as to what boundaries you had put in place as siblings and what that looks like. Oh, they weren't consistent. They were, my boundaries changed all the time. Sometimes I was like, okay, I'm on board trying to help her and next minute it was like, oh, she's giving me the shit so I don't want anything to do with it. So I wouldn't say there was a consistent boundaries there. It was just sort of a bit more make it up as you go sort of thing. As I said, there's no... There's no book that you get that tell you step by step on how to do it. It's um, it's really hard and it's it's really tough. It's tricky. I think with with me, I probably was a bit stronger on yeah, that on that boundary of not getting involved. But I think that also comes from a, a place of when this first started. Obviously, as I've mentioned, I was quite young. And I think everyone sort of started to fall into roles of, you know, mum was there trying to fix the situation and help and, you know, Alex would support her in that and as would dad. But what does a, a 12, 14-year-old do? So I just sort of stayed out of the way and that I think probably followed me into a lot of it was the best thing I can do is, is you know, not cause trouble and just, yeah, stay out of the way. So when she came out of that last rehab... At what point did you notice, well, this this might have worked this time and as it's just coming back to us? I don't know because I guess there'd been, I lost count of how many attempts at rehabs and different programs and everything. So it just took time, I guess, to sort of, I think once we sort of maybe got over 12 months, I was starting to feel a bit hopeful. But um, to use one of mum's sayings, actually, her saying was, you never take your seatbelt off and... I guess we didn't for a long time because we had seen her get better and then, you know, fall into old traps and, and hook up with wrong people and then you're back to square one. So I it took a while to actually believe that we might have turned a corner and you just hoped that she'd stay on the right path and and pray every day that she did. Yeah, I think it's the same time, just time. It wasn't There wasn't a moment or anything that I think, you know, we could see that she did differently. I wish there was some trick that we knew of to, to tell people. Wealthy. We would be very wealthy. But, yeah, it was just time when we started to see, okay, she, she is, seems to be committing to this. And um, because I suppose there had been other times where she'd come out of rehab and seemed like she was on the right track and then a split, you know, second she had run away and gone. So, yeah, I think it was just time. Hmm. Are there still things that you do to this day just a check or just keeping an eye on her because there's that little bit, you know, inside of either of you that's just wondering if it's if she's going to relapse or if there's still an issue there. I think that we have a very strong open communication sort of rule in this. If, if anyone's got – and that's not just with Kate, that's with any of us. If Liza's giving me the shits, I'll tell her. Like we just all are very open communicators and I think that's one thing we really learned is, as Liza touched on earlier, is like – we kept it a secret from Liza and tried to protect her and that actually didn't help her at all. Like, and the moment Liza asked me not to lie to her again, I can say honestly, Liza and I, that day we became closer and I've never lied to Liza since. So the open lines of communication, I think are really important, not just with Kate, but as I said, with just all relationships, I think you need to, to talk, talk it through. And particularly with Liza and I, that's, that's been what brought us close together during that time is that we didn't have any secrets and, you know, it wasn't all cloak and dagger and trying to protect one another. Like Liza was still a kid, but, you know, she was as much a part of this family as anyone else, so she deserved to know what was going on. So in regards to Kate, I, if I ever felt that there was a need to call her out or thought that something wasn't right, I, I wouldn't ponder it. We'd just do it. I love that. We talk about addiction as a disease and the way that Kate talks about addiction is basically her makeup in that she's, you know, the part of her brain that she was addicted to food and then it was alcohol and it was, you know, she has this part in her brain where other people in my life had a trauma problem so they were, they were taking drugs to kind of mask the trauma. So it's very different. But when we talk about addiction, if you're comfortable with answering, is there anything that you feel that addiction has taken from your family? I, it's unfortunately it's taken a lot um you know as much as we are a, a strong family now there's a lot of things that obviously happened throughout Kate's addiction that have sat with me for a long time situations that I were put in that um 
you know, have shaped me as a human being and some coping mechanisms that I used during that time of her addiction that they don't serve me well in, in the rest of my life. So, you know, I've gone and done work on that, but that I suppose has, has taken a lot of, I suppose it's given it to me in a way for like problems, but um, yeah, it, and it took away a lot of special moments, you know, graduations, um, you know, big celebrations of parties, Christmases, things like that, that should have been happy special moments that, you know, got, got taken away um, because of, you know, Kate behaving in a certain way or a certain thing happening because of her problem with addiction. It's like she was reminiscent of a person with feelings. And I, I think, you know, from speaking to her, she almost shut off from those because she recognises that the things she was doing, if she had had her feelings switched on, I guess, they would have been too much to handle and her emotions she felt too overwhelming. So, And you could see that. You could see that she behaved in a way that showed no remorse. Um, so it, it sort of became to me, I looked at her and, and it was like a shell. Yeah, a shell of... Of a, of a human acting for one need, I think, in the end, which... And that's the only need that mattered. And that's like, as Liza said before, there were moments that I just, I was in disbelief, like really how strong can this addiction be that we can be and at a funeral? And that is actually, you're not present mentally or at the funeral, like that was really important at, at celebrations, at different things like that, that you're prioritising this fucking thing that you're so obsessed with I just I, it took me so long to which I still don't I can't relate to it like how could something be more important than than these things that we're in the moment doing it was just it's it's mind-blowing to see that that was my sister and I guess in a way she she did become this monster that I just didn't know or want to know can we talk and I, I do apologize obviously this is this whole thing has been hard I imagine but was there a moment where we kind of touched on it earlier that you were kind of preparing yourself for Kate to potentially lose her life to this addiction. Yeah, and I think Kate has touched on this moment um, in a previous podcast, but there was a, a moment um, that will stay with me forever um, is when we got out of Kate had been hospitalised um, for she was. Uh, yeah, I had a committed um in a state of psychosis um that's where things were got really bad i guess yeah and she came out of that um hospital and uh, we actually got there just in time she had self-checked herself out um and we arrived luckily just in time um and she was getting in a car with someone we didn't know and basically said i'm sorry but i'm going and i think me alex and and my mum sort of it, it was like this, yeah, it was like this knife to the heart of like, okay, we this might be the moment that is the last moment we see you, which I can't explain that feeling. It's, it's, it's just terrifying. this weight and this, um, yeah, it's just a feeling that I will never forget. How do you begin to rebuild a relationship? You know, she's come out of this last rehab, which would become the last time she'd been, but I imagine at the time we didn't know if that was the case. So what does the rebuild look like for a sibling? Slow. It, it is slow. It's, um, there's a lot of things that you need to gain back. And I guess as, there's no right way as a sibling to feel about as your sister or brother if they're going through it. Like you can be mad as hell with them, but you've, they've broken down every wall that you had in regards to your relationship. They've, there's trust that you've seen them hurt your parents. They've, you've seen them lie. So there's a lot of work for them to do before you're willing to start putting in the work. I guess would that be fair to say? Like um, before I started putting in the work, I needed to see that that the work was being done before I was going to put my heart back out there and try again. Yeah, I think it's like with a lot of, you know, broken trust in relationship, it's just time and not necessarily big actions but just little things that you notice to go, okay, this might be different and, yeah, I don't know. It's just time, I think. And after all that, is there still a little bit of resentment there? Is it hard to kind of not blame her for putting your family through that or, or the family events, like you mentioned, that were missed or behaviour was poor? 
is it is it hard six years on from being sober to kind of not feel that resentment? I think in my mind after all that time of like I have, you know, come to terms with a lot of it, obviously something like this does bring up those feelings again, listening to it all over again, um, naturally brings up those memories and those feelings that you might have, have believed that were in the past. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of those moments I believe are in the past and we try to look forward as a family to the to the future and what what we have now and, and the celebrations that we do get to have and, and the moments that we have shared. Um, so because it, I don't think it serves anyone to look back with resentment or blame, um, it just you've just got to let it go, which is really hard to do. Yeah, that takes time. It's so much time. You just, everything <laughs> takes time. You, but yeah, there's definitely, I don't sit here and I'm not, I don't begrudge Kate for, you know, the decisions she makes. I've, they were hard at the time and there's still some of them I will never understand how or what was going through her mind that she made them. But yeah, as Liza said, there's no point of sitting here digging up the dirt every time we speak to Kate and making her feel like crap because she, she's done her work. And I think that that maybe also looking at the person who did those things and understanding that it is a disease and an illness and they were really in that, I kind of see it as two separate people in, in a way. Like as much as there is, you know, resentment, but understanding that makes you go, okay, well, you know, she's she's not behaving that way because she's fighting that illness and she's working on herself and she's not. I suppose, in that. So it's easier to not have resentment. But I think when they are actively still in addiction and behaving a certain way, the resentment is high. Yeah, because, it's away. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And then Flash too, you know, she's got this, she's moved back to Bendigo. She's got a beautiful family home. She's got a beautiful partner and the most gorgeous little boy, Hudson, who I'm obsessed with. He's so cute. So obviously this has a great ending, you know, her story. And is there anything that you could maybe just, final words to people who have loved ones who are struggling right now, any kind of advice or, you know, hope, anything like that? I think it's really important to protect yourself. Obviously you, you can love them and, and support them, but you, you can't fix it. And the more you try and force yourself onto them to fix it, it's just going to end up probably hurting you more. So d we, we found a, a really good support group, which I think we really got a lot of benefit out. And I do want to shout out to it. It's family drug support. Um, they were incredible. We, I remember there was one afternoon that we were really desperate and we just needed to find something. Um, and I rang around and found this, this small support group, which mum, Liza and I went to. And look, it, it doesn't fix it. It doesn't make it any better. But for some reason, sitting in a room full of people that are going through the exact same thing, it, it did make you feel a little bit better and, and less alone. So, yeah, th there is support out there and I guess arm yourself with as much as, it, as you can. But, yeah, don't, don't be too hard on yourself either because if, you, if you're feeling horrible things towards them or thinking horrible things, yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think. It's fine. Yeah, I agree with Alex. I think and, you know, people with loved ones going through the same thing, will probably know that it's really difficult to talk to people about it and I think it's not their fault but it's it's a natural thing when you talk to someone about a problem that they want to fix it so they'll give you well have you tried this well has she done this and then there's the other side of things that they also compare well oh my auntie Jean she had a terrible terrible addiction to chocolate it's like well yeah it's similar <laughs> but not but not quite so I think after a while you just shut you shut down that communication because not their fault but it's just you don't feel like the, it's it's getting across so I think family drug support just walking into a room of people that were like I see you and I see what you're going through and I understand it and it just it helps. It really does. Just finding, yeah, it's like, wow, you've got some fucked up stories as well. Yeah, tell yeah. me yours. You'll tell you yours. And then we all sort of go on our way and it's like, weirdly, I feel better. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it is a, it's really important to find yourself some some support, as Liz said, that can actually relate because people do their best. But, you know, if you're not in it, you don't. It's so hard to it. explain. And I think the other thing is as recognising that this is hard for you as a family member too. 
Um, I don't think any of us were good at that, but post maybe more, but recognizing that, hey, this is a lot to deal with. This is, um, you know, I've been put in some shitty situations too and maybe going and seeing, you know, a therapist or a psychologist or something just to be able to talk through that because, I mean, I think it's it's good to check in in your own mental health because you can be so worried about someone else's that you forget, oh, shit, you know, this has had a, a great effect on me. So just, you know, being kind to yourself and recognizing like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm impacted by this as well. Have you guys seen therapists separately? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big advocate for it. Um, and as well, it's the other thing of, of if it's nothing else, it's, it's being able to talk to someone out of the family system, out of the someone who's in it and just who understands the disease of addiction and can judge just free. judge free. Yeah. You can say whatever you want because, you know, in those times of, you know, a, an addicted person behaving that way that causes you harm, you internally, as people do, you think some pretty intense thoughts that you might not want to voice to anyone else, but they legally can't say anything. So... Yeah. Some of them, <laughs> well, no, well, depends how bad the thoughts are. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like sharing things that you might not feel comfortable to share with anyone else, you can you can go in and it is freeing. So, um, you know, they're not as scary as some people think they are. So what does life look like now? What is family hanging out? You know, Eliza, you mentioned you've got a kid now too. What's what's a Darush family like now? Yeah, um, I've got a, a little baby who's four months older than Hudson. So me and Kate sort of had our pregnancies at similar times and um, our babies play together all the time and we catch up a lot. And yeah, we, I would say we're, we're very close. So, you know, flashback 10 years ago, it's a very, very different situation. And yeah, it's it's we have a really great relationship. Yeah, we merge our phone calls a lot. So anytime I call Liza, next minute I'm merged with yeah, it's sort of like Kate. a like a mean girl situation. And, uh, it is. It's ridiculous. You've got to be careful what you say. Someone one on one because yeah, yeah, if I rang and say Jesus, like Kate's been a bitch or something like that, fair chance she's on the other line and heard me. <laughs> so you got to be real careful. <laughs> yeah, we're very uh, we're very close knit family. As a sibling unit now, like just with everything beautiful that's happening, you know, Liza, you got a kid, Hudson, Alex, you're killing life. Did you think that you'd be here? Did you think this was achievable? Um, I guess I never really looked that far ahead. I think, yeah, we were just sort of let's just get through tomorrow when it was really heightened and then it was let's get through next week and then let's try and make it to a year. Um, so I guess I'd never actually stopped and thought, would we? Would I see us here in this position now? I guess I never actually stopped to think about it, but it's considering how yuck it all was, it's pretty cool to think that we can all sit around and, yeah. and be where we are at the minute. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of that protection of yourself of well let's not put hopes on the future because you know the odds are but I think definitely now I'm in a space where we look forward to moments but I probably wouldn't have thought that far ahead when she first sort of got clean yeah thank you so much for for being here today we'll text Kate and bring her back into the room so I know I bet she's just kind of she's she's out, in the hallway. outside she's, she's creeping in she's creeping know. in the hallway all right, we've got Kate back in the room. So thank you for joining us. Um, obviously spoken to your brother and sister for a bit of time about their experience with this journey and and what that's like as a loved one. And I just wonder now with all three of you back in the room, is there anything else that you feel needs to be said or? Um, it's really, oh, try really, it's not about me, Kate. Don't get emotional, please. But, you know, the time that you guys were in here talking, it gave me a moment to just sit and actually reflect. Like I guess it's been a minute between, you know, all of that horrendous stuff and, and you know, when I was using and um, it just gave me a minute to sit and reflect on just how awful it was and maybe how sometimes, you know, it's easy for me to forget probably how much my behaviour over those years impacted these two people that didn't choose to have that in their life like they were so deeply impacted by something that they had no say in and yeah I think it's good to be reminded of that I'm very grateful that I have the family that I have that have been prepared to do the work that they've done to to heal their own wounds um, and therefore allowing me back in their life um, because it's not the it's not the case in all family systems so you know we don't do mushy too much in this family 
so I won't. But, you know, I know that they know that I love them very much and I'm just very grateful that they were brave and came here today and shared their experiences in hope that it might help, you know, somebody out there that, that's going through the same experience that they did. And what would you, Kate, what would you say? We've kind of heard from your siblings, but for someone who is a loved one or even a friend of someone battling right now, what would you say to them? Get your own help. I think, um, I, I mean, I felt the change. I can't speak up for their experiences, um, but I felt the change in their behaviours when they went and seek their own knowledge um, and their own, they got educated on what I was going through um, firstly, but also to help themselves and, and learn how to love me, even though they probably hated me at the time, but but to love me the way that I needed to be loved, not the way that I thought I needed to be loved. And, um, I, you know, for me, it was when they got that help that it in turn actually helped me make the changes that I needed to change to get clean, if that makes sense. This disease kind of wreaked havoc, you know, obviously not just for you, Kate, but throughout your family. So what does it mean today to literally have your brother and sister by your side, you know, physically and emotionally? I feel like you're getting emotional, but that's understandable. Um, I just, it's it's actually hard to believe. I, I sit here today and there's sometimes, and I don't mean, we don't talk about it much, but there's moments in time when we'll be laughing or doing something ridiculous like we used to before all the mess um, and I do just have a snap and go, shit, like I didn't think we'd ever be able to get back to, to that and I know there's still work to be done in some areas, you know, none of us are perfect, especially not me, but, um, yeah, to to be able to be even in the same room together but to have the relationship that we do again now is is a miracle and really just a testament to them really and truly. So this first season was all about your story and I'm so glad we got to actually hear it from your mouth. Like that's the biggest takeaway. You know, I'm getting people listening to the podcast going, wow, I didn't know that about her. I didn't know that that happened or, you know, all we got were the headlines and, you know, sometimes the headlines aren't always accurate or they can be a little misleading. So Thank you. I want to thank you for sharing your story from your own mouth. It's It's been incredible to be part of. Well, thank you for um, holding space for me. You know, it takes a, a certain kind of special human to be able to sit through that and hold space for someone. And um, I'm just, yeah, you, you're just a beautiful human being, Miss Coy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's us. That's I just need to take a minute, let that land, process it. Um, it's been a big six weeks of talking about some big stuff and it's also reminded me of a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't get to say that I wanted to say that I should have said. Um, so I'm just going to take a minute. We're going to take a minute, uh, let that all land and come back next year and, and talk about a whole range of other things. And that's what I'm excited about. So second season is going to, we're going to be touching on a lot of things. You know, obviously this season was your story and specifically predominantly about drug addiction, but next season we're going to cover it all. Yeah. I think the overarching umbrella would be mental health is kind of our umbrella. Yeah, hard things to talk about and, and things that maybe, you know, people think that they're going through alone or I just want this to be a safe space where we can talk about pretty much anything. Yeah, and we're going to get some really interesting guests on which I'm super excited about. We've got celebrity guests, we've got doctors coming on. Like this is this is just the start. You know, we've got much more to do here. It is, it's only the beginning. Tell me why I feel this way. Tell me why I feel this way.